This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, episode number 93. Let's get it on. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey guys, and welcome to the show today. My name is Michael Blanc. I'm really excited that you're here to learn about apartment buildings investing. You know, I remember when I got started with real estate, I did not think about the possibility of ever getting sued. Never even occurred to me. And all of a sudden, I was by someone I sold a house to literally three years before. Then I get this giant envelope in the mail, look it up, and like, what is all this stuff? And I couldn't believe it. And everything was like literally made up. But now I had to defend myself. I had had to hire an attorney and we had to go to court and we ended up settling this for literally pennies on what the original suit was, but it didn't matter. I had to spend like $8,000 defending myself. And that was my first exposure to our great legal nation. And I was like, holy cow, I never thought that was possible. And so what I want to do is I want to address that because there are certain things you can do to not become a target. So I have with me Scott Campbell on the show today who's going to help us with that, what we can do so we're less of a target. And if we do get sued, what the kind of structure we can put together so that it's much, much better for us and we don't lose the asset or worse, our personal assets. So this episode is brought to you by my Ultimate Guide to Buying Apartment Buildings course. It's the most comprehensive course of its kind on the planet to help you do your first apartment building deal. Because I know if I can help you do your first deal, you're just two to three years away from financial freedom. So I'm really excited to share that with you. If you want to do your first deal with apartments, please check this out. You can go to themichaelblanc.com forward slash products and find out more about that. So without further ado, let's get right into the interview with uh, Scott Smith. Here we go. Hey, Scott, welcome to the show today. Hey, Mike, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited you're here. We're talking about something that's you know real for a lot of real estate investors. And frankly, a lot of people don't think about that, which is the liability that comes with everything that we do. Uh, and I certainly never really thought about it when I got started until I experienced some of it myself. And the danger is not so much, in my opinion, that you're going to intentionally do things wrong, but it's to protect yourself against frivolous lawsuits. Like it's unbelievable in our country how easy it is to sue somebody else. And that's very difficult, in my opinion, to protect yourself against. So that's what I want to talk about today. So before we get into that, though, Scott, tell us a little about you and your, and your business. Yeah, so I'm a law firm, the Royal Legal Solutions, and what we do is we only help real estate investors. So that's our sole focus, and I'm an investor myself, and uh, we help clients nationwide how to protect and hide their assets, really to put yourself in the best position possible in case any, anybody ever gets sued. And um, you know, I started off with real estate um, about eight years ago when I was in law school. When we, I purchased my first property as a commercial property, a transmission and auto repair shop. And we're literally repairing the walls to it to keep it from falling down while we were trying to run this business so we could graduate from law school without debt. Um, so it wasn't a lot of sleep for a couple of years there with the first property diving in, especially into the most difficult kind of investment you can do with that. But it's a steep learning curve. And I got to tell you that the learning curve for me uh, was the exciting part. And so I carried that through from after law school into my litigation career, where I spent a couple of years being that guy, suing people, switch from the dark side and now uh, fight for the good guys, uh, trying to make sure that their retirement is safe and their assets and their future is secure. Yeah. So, I mean, you say that it's not if you get sued, but when. Why do you say that? It's just statistics, right? So if you just look at the number of people that are sued every year and that are involved in real estate, right? It's only, you know, maybe a few percent, anywhere between three and 7%, depending on which state you live in. Because real estate is, is the hottest litigated industry 
and the United States, which is the hottest litigated country. Okay, so you're really in the storm of litigation in it. And if you look at just saying how many percentage of people are sued every year, anywhere between three and 8% for real estate investors, and you carry that out over the normal career that you're going to have in real estate, which is anywhere between 15 to 20 plus years, you know, you're looking at almost a guaranteed lawsuit during your lifetime. So the questions that we had when we started the firm was saying, is there a solution out there that gives people the maximum protection that they can set up once and it's going to be good for the rest of their life? Because one thing I know about real estate investing is that it's not something that we're typically doing as our full-time business. So whatever we put in place has to be something that doesn't complicate our lives and protect us from, you know, in reality, what's the inevitable blind side that's going to happen. Because, you know, you have frivolous lawsuits, there's car accidents that exceed limits of liability insurance policy. Somebody along the way is going to be angry that you sued them a house that has a plumbing leak in it. It's going to sue you for fraud because you didn't tell them. I see this stuff every day. And I bet among you and your friend groups that you probably have people that have been sued for stuff like that, that could really fill you in on how much of a pain in the ass it really is when it does bring up. Well, can you maybe talk about it in a scenario, maybe build, you know, use them because we're talking about multifamily apartment stuff, you know, someone going a happy go lucky going out there. I mean, give us an example of what could potentially happen. Because like I said, I go in from my own perspective. I never even consider this until I heard other people being sued and it happened to me once. And I was like, how can this be, right? It was so frivolous. And we settled for like peanuts on the dollar. But the person who sued me still got essentially got money out of the settlement. And I just, it was like this legal blackmail thing. And I had to defend myself for it. And this is allowable in our great nation. And it actually makes me really angry that this is even possible. Right. Because a lot of these suits are so baseless. But when it happens, they're very, very real. Right. So give us an example of what you've seen happen. And hopefully someone will kind of go, my gosh, this is actually more real than I thought. Yeah. And I've actually seen guys that have lost millions of dollars in real estate that were honest guys and that thought that insurance was enough to protect them what they did, right? I know one individual in particular lost over $3 million from an unrelated claim based upon a car accident that he got into that exceeded the limits of liability from his car insurance. And then they came after all of his holdings because they're all in his personal name, right? So insurance in that scenario isn't able to protect you. And some scenarios with frivolous lawsuits having insurance will protect you, right? Like the frivolous lawsuit of somebody slipping and falling on your sidewalk right? Or front porch or something like that, right? Those are the types of areas where it's really good to have insurance. And we all want to have insurance. The idea though is saying that insurance is in the business of collecting nine coverage though. So if something really bad happens, you can almost be sure that the insurance company is going to deny coverage based upon these legal goals, like claiming that it was gross negligence, not simple negligence, right? That you really should have known the condition that was really so bad that caused the accident. Well, that's kind of like just a made thing that they'll sanction because they might deny coverage and they can get away with it. And it leaves you having to sue your own insurance company uh, to be able to have coverage. And a lot of that liability and a lot of the, the fear and a lot of the pain that's associated with all of that is mitigated if you had an asset protection you know, company put in place correctly. Yeah. So before we get into the solution, though, I mean, you, you talked about insurance being sufficient. Can you kind of describe like how this might work? Like something happens, some suit and someone gets a judgment. What could happen? Like what is a real scenario? Yeah. So there's two scenarios we run into. The first one is much more common where nothing actually happens with a lawsuit with the majority of my clients. Because what happens is, is that because we hide the assets and we isolate each one of them, we make it so that the clients and the assets aren't very attractive. The lawsuit is completely predicated on how much money an attorney thinks that he can get paid pursuing you. That is the bottom line of what's really going on because that's what contingency breeds. That's the incentives that are inside of how people are sued now. So by separating assets and hiding the ownership, you remove the incentives for people to sue you because otherwise it's like having a big warm sign, right? I have a bunch, come sue me. The other piece is saying, how do we get rid of the lawsuits if they are filed? And one is that we hope that our insurance company is going to get rid of them for us. 
right? It's because what we want to have happen is the insurance company steps in, they use their team of lawyers, and then they bully whoever's suing you into a really low monetary settlement. And that's why we always have insurance. There's no substitute for it, right? It gets rid of all the nuisance issues. But there's a big difference between things that insurance covers and things that insurance doesn't cover. Insurance will cover things that are deemed as accidents, and we call those in the legal field negligence. It doesn't cover everything else that can exist. It doesn't cover breach of contract, doesn't cover allegations of fraud, doesn't cover any other types of claims that can be made against plaintiffs. And there's 40 plus claims, right? One of them is covered by insurance. And those happen to be the most common because they're low payouts, which is why we have them. But it's the other types of lawsuits that I worry about, which can be devastating if they're not just frivolous, right? It's not just that somebody wants $1,000, but it's grandma fell through the stairs outside of your properties and it was a rotten staircase and now she's permanently disabled. Holy shit, what do we do then? Yeah, exactly right. So let's talk about some solutions, right? So you talked about things, uh, you know, we do our best we can, but something happens either in our control or many times outside of our control. And now we got to deal with it, right? So you said earlier, there's certain things we can do where we become not as attractive as a target. So let's start with some of the legal entities. How would you structure the legal entities for apartment building investors? For apartment buildings and for all real estate investors, right? The first thing we do is look at it saying, how are we going to maximize our profits? Like that's all, that's number one, right? If it's not going to maximize the profits here, we're probably not going to do it. And the biggest incentive and driver for that a lot of times is what we're going to be doing for holding things for the financing purposes for the banks or other financing institutions. <laughs> My experience with that is that you will typically always have a one-off LLC that's held directly in the name of whoever the owners of and the investors are going to be. And the reason for that is it's what is the simplest to push through underwriting. So that way you incur the least amount of legal fees and having to get exceptions to typical loan requirements that they have to go through, right? But that is by far not the best type of structure to actually hold the asset. So for everybody out there, what, you, what you'll typically do is have one legal structure, a way that you acquire assets. For apartment buyers, typically that's going to be through a single purpose LLC, directly in the name of the owners, and for the financing, and for individuals that are, say, buying multifamily or single family or other types of assets that are traditionally financed, you can actually buy those in your personal name. And no matter how you acquire it, you can always transfer it after the fact into an asset holding company that doesn't touch anybody, doesn't do any business with anybody else in the world, and it's held in an anonymous protected structure using a combination of trust and LLC structure to actually do the asset holding. And in this way, what you accomplish is you're separating the operations that it touched the world from the actual asset ownership, which is what we do for every single business, whether it's real estate or not. We always separate assets from operations. Why is that important? Because operating company is one that we want people to sue. It's our face to the world. It's the one that enters into leases. It's the one that hires contractors and does everything that's going to incur liability. And liability in legal terms just means have contact. Anytime you have contact with somebody, you have potential liability that's raised there. So if we have an operating company that does all of those functions, then it's the one that people are going to sue, right? Because that's who has contact. But what we want is we want that operating company to actually own nothing. So then people can only sue an empty vessel that we have created. So immediately if the operating company has any cash or any assets that it'll acquire, it immediately spins it off into an asset holding company that has no contacts and no liability. Because we, what we're going to use is these legal strategies of saying, when you sue my operating company, you can't get to me and you can't get to any assets. So if my insurance isn't going to pay it, you can have this judgment all day long from your lawsuit, whatever that is. Good luck foreclosing on it against this operating company that doesn't own anything. Yeah. So one common argument would be that a smart attorney is going to sue the holding company as well. No, and also personally too, right? Right. Exactly. And everybody even associated with it with something, they'll sue them like exactly right. 
Yeah, yeah, and they'll probably sue every single person that had any contact with any part of the deal, whatever, right? So one of the strategies you use in lawsuits from a litigation side is you sue like 40 people. And what happens is everybody has to fight to get dismissed from the lawsuit because they say, hey, you don't have a legal basis for the claim against me. You only have against somebody else here, right? And that's what you call getting dismissed from the lawsuit. And that's always the initial fight. And so that's how it goes from 40 to one or two ultimate people. So everybody's going to sue. Because, you know, I could sue anybody, right? Like, that's the country we live in. The question becomes is who can you actually prevail against? That's when we're actually talking about, like, the lawsuit being successful. And what we've created here is the legal argument to say, well, you're only with the operating company. And even if you sue me or you sue the asset holding company or you sue Santa Claus, all of those people are going to get dismissed. And you're going to be left with just the operating company. And the likelihood of that happening, in your experience, the likelihood of that happening is very high if you structure them uh, in the way you described. If you structure it and you manage it correctly, LLC protections are very high. If you structure it and you manage it poorly, have poor accounting records, don't have paperwork, etc., it's not going to work at all. But there's a way to do it where it doesn't make your life this complicated ninja of paperwork to make it work, right? And that's what we specialize in as part of it is what's the simplest way we can make this happen where it's actually going to hold up for people. Because one aspect of LLCs is asset protection, but the, every time you create an LLC, you have to have a tax return. You need a tax ID number. You got to, you know, every time you create an LLC, you have a certain amount of overhead. And that's probably people thinking, oh, I got to create two or three LLCs just to buy a building. You're like, really? Talk a little bit about the level of effort to not only open, but to maintain these things and, and the cost related to operating them. So a couple of things there, Michael, is you don't have to have a tax return for every LLC that you do if it's you as a sole member or it's a husband and a wife or married couple, because then it's actually treated as a pass-through entity and there's no separate return given for it. If it's you and an unrelated party, they would have ownership return and that's you would have to have a tax return for it. So that would be one say, okay, well, maybe taxes stay pretty um, consistent and easy to do that. But the, the other piece of it is saying that how do we actually do this to scale out assets? Because it doesn't make sense if I have to do three companies for every asset, right? But what if I could do one operating company that protects me from all of the external liability that's going to happen in the operations of my business? And then I have one asset holding company that holds all of the assets. Then that sounds manageable all of a sudden if the asset holding company itself is scalable. And it is scalable if you use a series LLC structure. And you can form these up in Texas and Delaware and over 10 different states now. And you can use them anywhere just like you would a normal LLC. The laws on these are very clear. The protections are very strong in what they offer. And that's why you don't see really any challenges, even though they've been around for over 20 years now, that are substantive challenges to like a Texas series LLC, for example, being used in, the, in any other location. And the reason that we use the series LLC structure is because it provides infinite scalability and compartmentalization of every asset for free, no matter how many assets you acquire. So you get this infinite company once that this is established, which is really cool, right? Because then their cost to expand goes to zero. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Can you talk a little bit more about how you use these series LLCs? Yeah, so you really just need one. And if you're going to do anything, I would say that this would be the thing to jump into, right? So this is like, if there's one thing you want to do for asset protection, it's an asset holding company. And it's with a series LLC. Because you can form up for, I, I like to form these on Texas, because Texas is strong and cheap. And so what we're able to do is form the LLC anonymously using a land trust or a different type of anonymous trust as the owner of the LLC. So people can't find your name attached to the company itself if they search the government records. Then the series LLC itself is a parent-child structure. So there's a parent LLC that's filed. It can create as many children as it wants. We call each one of those child LLCs. So you'll have one series LLC called Worldwide Investments LLC. And then you'll have Worldwide Investments LLC dash series A. And that's your first child. Dash series B would be your second. Dash series C is your third. And these are all created on your desktop for free. All you have to do is print it. You sign it. You legally have a brand new company. Sounds pretty easy. Anything else that uh, one needs to consider there? Well, the only other piece of it to do is to combine the series structure with an anonymous land trust for each property. So you would print off at a computer, series A, sign it. Now you have series A in existence. Now you said, well, I really want to hold my asset located at 123 Main Street anonymously. So what I'm going to do is, is create a land trust called the 123 Main Street Land Trust, right? 
I'm going to move my property into the land trust and the land trust will then be owned by series A. So then you have a parent LLC underneath that, a series A, underneath series A, it owns the one, two, three main street trust. And the one, two, three main street trust is the title holder for the property. And what you just did, if you use that approach is nobody can find your name by searching the secretary of state records to find out what company you own. And if anybody searches your name to see what property you own, they can't find your name either because it's blocked by the name of the land trust because the land trust is actually the title holder for it. And once you have the trust and the series together, you can just stamp those out because there's no filing fees associated with the series and there's no filing at all for the trust, for the land trust. So these are completely legally enforceable and for free and there's no filing so nobody can trace it back to you. That's pretty cool. I think that's really important for everyone else to do, especially when we're buying multi-million dollar apartment buildings, right? If you definitely want to get that done as soon as possible. Is this something, Scott, that one can do after one closes on a deal or is that something that one really needs to do beforehand? Yeah. So you'll end up doing it after the closing of your deal and you'll be moving the property into a land trust. And so because of it, it's going to be moving the property into a trust structure, that's not going to violate the due on sale clauses that are typically part of the financing terms. And you're always going to have the old party, whether it's yourself or whether the LLC that you use to acquire the asset initially, um, that's always going to be on the chain of title. But the goal is moving into the land trust. You're looking like you're moving into a trust to chop it up amongst investors. And you're creating the doubt in the mind of anybody that's looking to sue you about what's going on. And if they think that you do still own it and they do sue you, they actually find out they're wrong because the owner of the trust is actually the series LLC. So even if they take a gamble on it, you punch them in the nose right from the very beginning. They say, shame on you for suing me because you're still wrong. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Good. Shame on you. Exactly right. That's awesome. What, what other asset protection advice do you want to share today? Well, there's, there's so much, Michael. I think that separating the assets from the operations is the number one thing every real estate investor should be doing. You should always make sure that you have the appropriate amount of equity in any property, right? So owning properties in all cash can itself be very risky because no matter what structure you apply, so you can always have the asset itself being exposed, right? So what that could end up coming out to be is if somebody you know, grandma falls to the staircase, she ends up suing your insurance company says, well, rotten staircase means that this was gross negligence. You should have known that the staircase was rotten. How would I possibly know that? I don't live at the property, right? But they're going to say that they deny coverage. And that means that they sue the property owner, whoever that's going to be trust, a series LC doesn't matter. Right? So you have high level of protections in the system because they can only get to that one asset. But that's still not good if there's a ton of cash tied up into it, right? So if that's a situation, what we look to do is a process called equity stripping, where we remove the equity from the property. And you can either do that to hide the equity, which is what we'll do with an equity line of credit. Sorry, like a, a HELOC structure, right? A line of credit on the property will disguise how much is actually an equity on the property. Or you can get a bona fide mortgage from a bank and actually pull the money out and reinvest it, which is sometimes what people do. Or what you can also do is if you set up correctly, you have to really dot your I's and cross your T's and follow all of the proper legal procedures to do it, or it doesn't work. You can actually set up your own LLC to be the note holder and your private mortgage company to put liens on your own property. So that way, if somebody sues your property and they're successful in foreclosure, your private mortgage company actually gets paid off first. So you can actually eat up all of the equity by going that route with it. But then again, you have to do it like 100% right because the game that we're playing is this legal nuance of this LLC is actually a separate person from me. So judge, you can't really think of it otherwise. It has to be right. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we cover a lot of stuff here, Scott. What are like your top points you want someone to take away from this? Like what should someone's action items be right now? Yeah. So the number one action item is get everything that you have that's in your personal name and get it out of your personal name. Put it inside. If you can't afford to be able to put it into um, you know, one of these more complex structures, like a series LLC and anonymity trust, get it 
into something, right? Even an LLC itself in your personal name, not ideal, much better than what you're at right now. And number two, I would just make sure to be insured and be well insured because we want insurance to take care of a lot of these nuisance issues. We're only using an asset protection piece for the instance that it's like our bottom line. If the skies fall, we know we're going to be okay. We're not depending on it to get rid of nuisance claims because nuisance claims still cost you five or $10,000 in attorney's fees in most cases. And that's at the low end. Most of them are going to be much higher than that. And you on the defense, you don't get paid back for that, right? That money just gets lit on fire. So we want insurance to be there for that. The third piece I would say for every investor is to be very leery of assets that you feel comfortable with and people that you feel comfortable with. And for some reason in 2017, everybody started making so much money in what they were doing that people stopped doing their due diligence. If it was people that they knew from meetup groups or assets that they had done. Have you seen that at all, Michael, where it's like people all of a sudden they get comfortable and then all of a sudden they stop checking because they're like, oh, it's probably fine. The last five were fine. Number six is probably fine too. Yeah. It reminds me of 2006. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People start getting a little complacent sometimes. So you definitely have to watch that. So this is definitely a real threat. And my gosh, I remember when I started with real estate over 10 years ago, it was something I never even considered. One of these nuisance suits just takes the fun out of it. Not only does it drain the little profit you made on these house flips or whatever you make on a little building, it just takes the fun out of it also. It kind of drains you emotionally. So if people want to find out more about this or maybe want to take a next step, Scott, how can people connect with you? Yeah, so we can either come to our website, the royallegalsolutions.com website. We got a free ebook on there, the top 10 things you should do to protect your assets. You can reach out to us by phone, 512-757-3994, or you can email me directly at scott at royallegalsolutions.com. And through one of those ways, we'll get you down and get you set up with a consultation, figure out what exactly where you're at and what you need, where, where you're at with an investor and where you're growing, right? So not everybody's the same. So it's important to have that customized touch from an attorney who's also an investor, be able to know what to do with that. Love it, Scott. I appreciate you coming to the show and sharing this with us. Thanks so much. Yeah, good to be here, Michael. Thank you. All right, guys. I didn't want to scare you with this episode. I just want you to be aware of it because I know that I wasn't aware of it. I never considered it. I didn't consider any downside when I first got started. Whether I got started with restaurants, I didn't consider what would happen if uh, what would happen to to the lease that was personally guaranteed. I just you just never think about these. And I want you guys. I don't want you to become pessimistic. Okay. I don't want you to think, oh my gosh, the world is falling. I just want you guys to think about what happens if something doesn't go right. And you try to do the best you can. You have the best intentions. Sometimes things happen to you that are totally out of your control. And in our country, people can sue anyone for any reason whatsoever. So make sure that you contact Scott or some other attorney to at least do a free consultation on your entity structure and what you're doing. Because there's some things you can do that are fairly easy to do and cheap that are, like Scott said, 80% better than, than nothing else. If you're a little more serious, you can do more sophisticated stuff that he was talking about and he can help you with that as well. All right. So hope you guys found that helpful. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you go to my website, themichaelblanc.com and download my free book called The Secrets to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. It's a great way to kind of get started with apartment buildings and take a look at my, my YouTube videos, listen to my other podcasts, and just learn as much as you can about multifamily. And if you are ready for more, I have some online training and coaching programs, and that's linked to on the website as well. So really appreciate your time. Hope that was useful. I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.